If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If last year taught us anything, it's that tomorrow may look nothing like today. But Schwab knows that successful financial planning can help propel net worth by 2.7 times. That's why Schwab offers a variety of easy, flexible financial planning options that can rise to meet any of life's curveballs. Whether it's making a complimentary retirement plan online or chatting directly with a financial consultant, anyone can look forward to planning with Schwab. Learn more at schwab.com slash plan. It's finally time to turn the page on 2020, one of the most challenging years in recent memory, and look ahead to what next year brings. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a look back at the many major news stories that define this year. We'll, of course, talk about the pandemic, the racial justice protests in Portland and elsewhere, and the wildfires. But first, we'll talk about some of the year's other big stories, including some you might have forgotten. Reporters Cale Williams and Lizzie Acker and visual journalist Dave Killen joined me to talk about the tumultuous year we'll soon put in the books. Here's our conversation. Lizzie Acker, Kale Williams, Dave Killen, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. It's kind of unbelievable that we've finally made it through 2020. Um, and I know that <laughs> it seems like there's only one or two or three massive stories, but some other stuff happened before the pandemic and the nightly protests and the wildfires. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the year if we can. Um, what are some stories from this year that you think might have gotten buried that would have been much more newsworthy in any other year? Anything spring to mind for you? I had a story in mind that I thought happened at the beginning of the year, and I just looked it up, and it happened in August. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, tough, right. it's a tough question to answer. But I mean, you think about impeachment happened this year, you know, like it's not a local story, um, and it got plenty of attention at the time literally nothing news was about nothing else for mm-hmm. you know the the three weeks or however long that took but just to think about the fact that that was this year kind of scrambles my brain a little bit more so than it's even already scrambled by everything that happened this year so that's kind of where my head's at <laughs> <laughs> dave what about you uh, I'm just looking back at my uh, file archives to remind myself of something that happened so long ago. And I see that, uh, do you guys remember that it looked like we were going to go to war with Iran? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was this year, uh, the very beginning. Um, and... uh, Suleimani being uh, assassinated. Yeah. yeah. You know what's wow. weird about the beginning of this year is that, I mean, we think about how intense things are right now, but I also think in January... And before, met from several years now, like really every day something big felt like it was happening. It's just that now it's just this one thing every day that's really big. But yeah, like, I mean, I we learned about the coronavirus in January, right? Right. <laughs> it was like far off. It was far away. And it was kind of like, 
I remember thinking to myself, that sounds very scary, and I'm really glad it's not here. Yeah, I remember, I mean, another a, a big local story early in the year was uh, the Jeremy Christian trial. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I covered every single day of that at the courthouse, and I could not tell you without looking if that was that was a month. And I was there every day, and I have no idea if that was January or February, <laughs> or even maybe, and it was definitely before March, but... And that's when I first remember hearing about the coronavirus was sitting out on the benches outside of the courtroom with the other mm-hmm. media people and, um, you know, downtime talking about this virus that sounded scary. It sounded scary. Um, and I remember our former editor now, Mar- Mary Mooney, um, who is uh, she was on this early. And I was scoffing I'm like, come on, this is not going to be that big of a deal. And uh, I was wrong. <laughs> I one really ridiculous thing that I did early in the year in February, I went to Disneyland with like my three month old baby. And, um, at the time there were people wearing masks and it was like the beginning of February. It was the very beginning of February. And it was a little unsettling just to see that. But on the other hand, we were just doing everything mm-hmm. normally that we would do. Um, and just kind of like, Oh, they're probably, you know, being overly safe or, you know, maybe, I don't even know what we thought, really. We were just like, oh, okay. Um, But now it just seems like probably the most reckless thing I've ever done in my life to go to Disneyland with a tiny baby uh, at the beginning of a global pandemic. And I've done a lot of reckless things. (laughs) (laughs) And there were a couple things that happened in January that kind of give some uh, perspective on where the news was at. Uh, Our very own Elizabeth Acker wrote a story about a guy at the airport (laughs) who hijacked a monitor to play video games. Oh, yes. That was January? (laughs) That was January 16th. Uh, And just two weeks before that, perhaps the best and only good news of the year was when Oregon Live eliminated the comment section. Oh, that was this year? That was this year. (laughs) That was a beautiful time. (laughs) Wow, the year started off so well. So much right. promise in 2020 <laughs> all down the tubes. It went downhill pretty quickly because I um, I was working Sunday shifts a lot and I, I was working when Kobe Bryant died. Yeah. And that was a really, sorry to bring it way down. No, I mean, I was going to bring that up too. Kobe and Gianna, his daughter and, and those uh, teammates. It was. Yeah, that was really sad. Terrible. Um, Gor- Gordon Sondland, our, our uh, local hotelier turns. Uh, ambassador to the EU uh, had his star turn in the impeachment saga. That was this year as well. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I was going to cover a big story that I was going to cover this year was Vortex 2020, which was going to be this um, oh, yeah. musical event. And uh, I went to, you know, like a press conference unveiling of this event that was at the home of Pink Martini's Thomas Lauderdale. It was, mm-hmm you know, very fancy. And, um, and it was like, this was going to be the event of the summer. They were, they hadn't named the bands that were going to play yet, but it was trying to recapture the magic of the original Vortex, which was a government sponsored musical event in 1970. Um, the whole thing was going to be like, you had to volunteer to get a ticket. You couldn't pay for a ticket. It was going to be really complicated. And I was very, very curious to see how they pulled it off. Um, and you will not be surprised to learn that didn't happen at all. That did not happen. <laughs> well, we obviously uh, had significant elections in 2020. Um, the the one at the national 
level, which has been over since November, but is never over, it seems. But also locally, uh, which of the results locally are you going to, you know, whether it's a new city council or some of the drug reform measures or um, what, what are you most interested in seeing how it unfolds in 2021? I think I was most surprised, and maybe I shouldn't have been, but uh, about Chloe Daly's loss on the the city council, especially coming after the election of an unapologetically progressive district attorney and, and Mike Schmidt, uh, and then her loss to Mingus Maps, who is you know the the more centrist of the two candidates. Um, you know, it didn't seem like she did a lot of aggressive campaigning. Um, and so maybe that had something to do with it. But it just took me a little bit by surprise that, you know, Maps was able to come in and unseat her after the city had just picked such a progressive district attorney. Um, and what that does to the 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 ideological bent of city mm-hmm. council is I think remains to be seen, um, but it's going to be much harder for you know cuts to police funding and other progressive priorities to get much traction. It seems to me. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how the decriminalization of like street drugs goes. That that's going to go into effect February 1st. So I think that that'll be a big change, and I'm really interested to see how police respond and the community and mm-hmm. what it really means. Cause I think it's such a first that we don't necessarily even know how it's going to go. <laughs> and of course I'm really interested in the um, psilocybin measure, uh, but unfortunately we're not going to see that anything from that this year. It's going to be two years before that really turns into anything. Ted Wheeler, uh, you know, did, you know, what, what hasn't been done in, decades winning a a second term um as portland mayor and and you know that you know in a normal world you might have uh i don't want to say a mandate but you know um a a bully pulpit to get things done and i i guess it's just with all the issues that we have locally and you have new faces on city council and we have um you know people experiencing homelessness at levels we really haven't seen um i don't know it's going to be Things are not going to settle down in 2021. That's one thing that uh, I think we can all agree on. I was surprised. Honestly, I thought there was a moment when Ted Wheeler wasn't going to win. It it seemed like I I was a little surprised that he won, which is strange because at the beginning, it seemed like there was no way he was going to lose. But at the very end there, I was like, well, he might not win. Well, my, one of my main takeaways, and I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this is like Twitter is not real life. Um, (laughs) you know, Sarah Iannarone, um had a really terrific grassroots campaign. And I mean, there's kind of a what might have been if she would have been able to be out there canvassing more than uh, knocking doors and things of that nature. But, you know, my my world as the transit and transportation reporter, I, I see a lot of um, of an echo chamber of um, and, and that's something that I, I'm going to try to check myself on more going forward. But this year is also so unprecedented i don't know whether there's any takeaways there i mean i think that that you can't really talk about the mayoral election without also like noting the the big percentage of write-in votes uh that may or may not have gone to teresa rayford (laughs) we'll never know because they won't say um but i mean there were there were a fair amount of people that that i spoke with who were planning to write her in um and i think i don't remember the exact numbers but it was north of i think 10 percent went mm-hmm. for a write-in yeah. candidate 
It was definitely enough that if they had gone for Sarah, that yeah. would have. Yeah. And th- there's, the there's no way to know whether they would have or not. Uh, but I think that it's important to note that that is a 10% is a, a, a sizable chunk of, of the electorate. Yeah. I, I was pretty sure Wheeler was going to win for that reason. Um, having been out on the ground so much during the protests and all summer, just hearing so much about writing in mm-hmm. Rayford, primarily, but I'm sure people wrote in others as well, but it seemed clear to me that that would like a classic third party situation that was going to result in Wheeler being reelected. Yeah. Um, before we talk about all the, the big stuff, um, was there any particular story this year where that gave you some hope or joy? Um, Lizzie? <laughs> <laughs> hope or joy. Well, I mean, it's hard not to, feel hopeful about this vaccine, which I guess is not like a story from long ago, but a story from the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'm seeing so many people, I didn't know that I knew so many people in healthcare, to be honest, who are like, apparently like frontline healthcare workers, but I'm seeing so many people that I know getting the vaccine. Um, and I just, for the first time this year have started to feel like maybe we can make some plans or maybe we can just take a deep breath. But, on the other hand, you know, I, I, I know someone, a, a relative of a relative kind of who died yesterday from coronavirus. So it's not even close to over, yeah. but the question was about hope, hope or that. joy. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Let's bring it back to that, that cool vaccine situation. I'm very right. stoked. I'm very stoked. Maybe I can go back to Disneyland. I will bring something frivolous. Um, I, okay. Yusuf Nurkic returning oh, to yes. a basketball court after snapping his leg in half, um, which I know oh, you on know, TV on TV against the Brooklyn Nets uh, in March of 2019. He's back. And uh, that's something that that gives me hope this year. Kale, I forgot to you? say that they're going to win the championship this year. So that's, <laughs> I mean, next year, that's pretty hopeful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to piggyback, piggyback off on off Andrew. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> I thought the the. NBA's ability to form and operate in a bubble was pretty impressive. I don't think it's the type of thing that they could do on any sort of long-term basis. It's not the solution to anything, but the fact that they were able to pull it off with, I mean, few, if any infections down there in Orlando was kind of a feat to me. I mean, obviously they have resources that normal people do not have Correct. and they are in a money-making enterprise. So it was <laughs> worth it for them to do these things. But the fact that they were able to pull it off was pretty impressive to me. I didn't think it was going to work at all. Me um, neither. That was, yeah. It was cool that it did. Dave. But of course now they're starting up a totally non-bubble season. <laughs> Hope and joy, Dave. Yeah. Hope and joy. <laughs> All right, gotta make that money, right? I mean, it's, uh, I don't. I do. I mean, the NBA seems. I'm not a huge sports person, but the NBA seems like head and shoulders above all the other professional sports leagues. But but they are. It seems like they were kind of like, well, I guess that was great, but now let's just proceed as normal when things are probably worse now than they were then. Yeah, but but well, hey, hey, good for them for trying um, then <laughs> and not trying as much now. I guess uh, uh, I am not to answer the original question. I uh, am not a particularly joyful person, um, but I do occasionally feel hope. Thinking about that question, the thing that oddly pops to mind for me is uh, the Jeremy Christian trial. 
and because of a man named Sean Ford, who was a witness at the trial mm-hmm. and who had tried to de-escalate the situation on the Max train with Christian before anyone was stabbed. Um, and he was really inspiring um, hearing him testify about, you know, how he had handled that situation um, was was incredibly admirable. And I came away from that thinking, man, I wish I could vote for this guy for some kind of office. And uh, I still think about his testimony and um, just what a great person he seemed to be and um, how unfortunate it is that his efforts at de-escalation were, were uh, sort of overpowered by the, you know, the overall circumstance on the train. Well, let's take a break and come back and talk more with Lizzie Acker, Kale Williams, and Dave Kellen. When the pandemic struck Oregon uh, earlier this year, how, how did your work as journalists change? Um, Kale, you want to start? Sure. Uh, I mean, parts of it didn't change much at all. Other parts are completely different. Um, you know, I was working on environmental and breaking news at the time, um, and my breaking news work more or less continued. Uh, my environmental work regrettably has been somewhat slid to the back burner. Uh, And it's worth noting that all of this work is now taking place at my house and not in our office. So that the, the, the practical changes were, were pretty drastic. I mean, we were all out of the office by mid March, I believe haven't been back since other than to, you know, clear out our desks and pick up a few things. And I mean, we've all learned somewhat to, you know, conduct ourselves on zoom and teams and recording podcasts instead of in a studio via an internet link, um, you know, and how to keep our dogs quiet while we're on phone calls and how we need to make sure that we get up and take a walk because otherwise you might end up at the end of the day without having left the house and that will drive you insane after a day or two. So I think that there are practical changes to the work, um, but the 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 actual act of reporting, while there are fewer in-person interviews and fewer details of color to get into the story without being able to visit places, I mean, the act of reporting remains the same. You you get information, you verify it, and, and you hope to get it out to people in as concise and accurate a way as possible. Yeah, I record all my podcasts in my basement now, which is weird. But um, for me, it's been what's been odd is so much of my, you know, when, it, when I'm working on an enterprise story or I'm trying to come up with new story ideas, just being out of the office is like the most important thing. And I, I just can't do that as much, um, you know, cause I don't feel comfortable. Um, so that's weird. Uh, that's something I hope returns someday, but you know, it's just, just kind of being out on a bike ride and like a story you've been thinking about and I hadn't thought about for weeks or months pops into your head and it's a, you know, that's how it begins sometimes. Yeah. I have to say like, in February, right before this started, I was working on a story which just involved me going to local distilleries and trying alcohol. And <laughs> I did a lot of stories like that um, that involved going places and doing things. And that obviously has is completely gone. And I think about that story like I'm never going <laughs> to... I expensed so much liquor that 
will never be written about because <laughs> if I, if I'm ever going to do that story, if it, you know, if things change, I can't like a year later, just like act like things might still be the same in the place I went. So I'm gonna have to go back to all those places if anyone wants to come. Um, <laughs> well, we're, but, we hope they're still in business. Let's right. Exactly. On. Like who knows if they're still in business. And um, I did, uh, you know, this whole, this summer, I don't think I did a single story that involved me eating ice cream and that, to me is a strange summer. So I would say my, my work change has changed a lot, but I kind of obviously had a dream job if it involved going and eating ice cream. Dave, your job, I mean, you're usually out there anyways. I mean, how is this dramatically different? Yeah, I've was probably, uh, other than working from home, um, it's not all that different. Um, because you know, you got to go places to, take pictures of things that are happening, but not, you know, the biggest thing to me, I guess, is, is almost never seeing you guys and our other colleagues. I really miss the newsroom. Yeah. Um, and then just early on in the pandemic, uh, I was, it was, you know, it's a hard, it's not a very visual story, uh, or at least parts of it aren't. So it was kind of a struggle that I felt like I wasn't doing enough work. Um, and just, you know, being at home, not all. I, I also was coming off of a three-year period where I always had a big enterprise story project to return to. So it was kind of a confluence of things that made me feel sort of useless. Um, uh, but then the protest started and I got super busy. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you know, one, one thing that uh, I work, my wife works from home as well. She's a teacher and I mean, she she has to hear all my terrible puns now that all my coworkers used to have to hear in person. So that's a, and, and we get to miss them. (laughs) I used to hear them every day and I miss them. Yeah. Um, what do we think changed permanently, uh, even after vaccines are widely available about our society? I mean, is anything you guys are thinking about? I mean, I'm hoping kind of a small thing that people, if they're not feeling well, um, in future office land won't go to future office land. They'll stay home. Oh God. I hope that's so much. Yeah. I worry a little bit. Well, I worry a lot, uh, about, um, small businesses and kind of the, what having small businesses around creates in terms of the culture of a place, you know, it's, I, it's just so hard for me to imagine, you know, these, these people who own a restaurant, but they don't own multiple restaurants. They aren't franchisees of a chain, um, how they're going to survive. And if they don't, how much more of, you know, like that type of industry is going to be condensed into TGA Fridays and Applebee's. (laughs) Um, and honestly, it's pretty depressing. I mean, I love an in and out burger, uh, but I would much rather have a foster burger, which I can't anymore because they're closed. Um, and I, so I feel like more of that, and hopefully that is a trend that will be short lived. Um, and that, you know, if, and when things return to some semblance of normalcy that, you know, those types of, of restaurants will come back. Um, but I'm worried, man, I don't, I don't know that they will. And, you know, once those big chains get entrenched, it's hard to, to compete against them. So I, I think that we're going to do some of the things that we've discovered are like the good, the goods, the good benefits of working from home. Sometimes we're not obviously spending as much time commuting people who are working from home and there's a lot of infrastructure for delivery of food and groceries. And I bet that we stick with some of those things. What do we think um, when we look at the, the 
nightly protests that we had for 100 plus days i mean what tangible results can we point to from um from those demonstrations and um do we think that it's going to play out further in 2021 i mean the the progressive members of the city council were able to to push through um a cut to police funding i think it was in the order of 15 million um earlier this summer they were unable to push through an additional cut that they tried for more recently uh with the addition of a more moderate member to the city council and dan ryan who took Mm -hmm. uh, nick fish's place after he passed away last year um but i think that there's i mean what i hear activists saying is you know there's all this attention on it right now uh but we'll see what happens in the long term. I mean, it seems like the the change in, in culture, you know, we'll, we're, we will see it, how long lived it is. But it's hard to imagine the situation at the Red House uh, up mm-hmm. on Mississippi unfolding the way it did without uh, the the enduring power of the protests over the summer. Yeah, I agree. I think that's maybe the main thing is the sort of um, mainstreaming of the uh, of the you know the core issues behind the protests uh, and that feels permanent like that's part of the zeitgeist now and you know things ebb and flow and and uh, you know I remember Joanne Hardesty said after the second um, police cut failed you know I, I knew Black Lives wouldn't matter for long and I I understand what you mean I mean it's people lose focus or people who were you know excited about getting on board with social justice uh, and then, you know, some of those people will fade away once it's no longer convenient. But um, I do think that at least to some degree, it's a permanent change in the culture of the city and will continue to affect policy or at least, you know, at least be an an issue in the forefront for um, city council and other leaders. And come come May of next year, depending on where we're at societally, I mean, when the new budget is is you know in motion um, with uh, Mayor Wheeler and Mingus Maps and Carmen Rubio and Dan Ryan and and uh, Commissioner Hardesty, um, it'll be very interesting to see kind of what political pressure uh, is put on them um, and what the financial situation is like too, given um, given the COVID situation and and uh, everything we've been through. Um, Dave, do you have any, any, um, insights just cause you out of all of us on this call by far have been out there and we're out there the most, um, do you have any sense of how or why Portland was really the national ultimately, um, you can make an argument national epicenter, uh, in terms of its longevity for these protests? Yeah, I think there's sort of two reasons for that. One, uh, what you just said, just the longevity um, and the this consistency and ferocity of the protests. Um, but I think maybe the single biggest thing that put us at the center was the federal occupation of uh, you know, of the area around the federal Marco Hatfield Federal Courthouse mm-hmm. downtown. Um, things were actually starting to slow down. It felt a little bit at the end of June, but then. Uh, when that started, uh, it, you know, just completely blew everything back up and sustained it for quite a while. Um, and I think Portland was probably a very convenient foil for the Trump administration. Um, it was a convenient place to sort of make an example of, and it worked, you know, and with all the, um, 
nightly uh, chaos and, uh, you know, images coming out of that, uh, of which I was contributing to, you know, it was pretty easy for national news outlets to seize on that and it make it look like Portland really was a war zone when, as we've all talked about endlessly, it was really just like a three or four block area downtown right. that almost nobody lived near. It was just, I think it was just an easy conclusion to come to is this, this weird little super progressive city, uh, you know, out there on the West is completely in flames. And um, it was, you know, uh, it fit with what people sort of vaguely know about Portland. I, I grew up in Portland, but I've lived on the East coast for a while. And, you know, I think there's still plenty of people who think Portland is a suburb of Seattle. So it's, it's uh it was easy for yeah that narrative to get, to get going and to be sustained for, you know, at a minimum the length of the federal officers being here. And really it didn't, I don't think die down too much until it was sort of supplanted by the wildfires story. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because we'd be remiss in not talking about um, the devastating wildfires really that range from down in Jackson County up to, Lane County, Marion County, Clackamas County, um, really just kind of unthinkable um, that it, this all happened at once. Kale, ha, what do you what do we know about kind of recovery efforts and across the state? Have you done any touch and base on that? Uh, it's been a little while since I've checked in. I know that uh, in um, the towns down in Southern Oregon and Jackson County, Medford and the surrounding areas. Uh, last I heard they were EPA had wrapped up their, most of their cleanup efforts in terms of removing hazardous materials and collecting ash. And I mean, at this point that just leaves them with the very long uh, and arduous process of rebuilding uh, for those that choose to stay or have that option. Um, you know, I know a lot of the, the, communities down there, especially in Talent and Phoenix, um, where the majority of the homes burned were low income. A lot of them were mobile homes. Um, and so for those folks, it may not be worth it for them to stick around. Um, I know some of them will, some of them won't, and that's yet to be seen. But, you know, when you're already working, uh, coming from a low income base, and then you're hit by a disaster on top of another disaster, like... Yeah. You know, it's hard to fathom how, how those folks are dealing with it. Dave, you were down on the ground in Phoenix and Talent. What will stick with you from your reporting down there? Well, I've never I've never seen anything like that before. You know, I've never covered war or anything like that. But, uh, it, and I know that's sort of a cliche uh, metaphor, but it it really was a dev- just devastation on a scale that it was hard to get your head around, you know, just these whole, not even blocks, but like whole, I mean, there was, I guess they were mostly what I'm thinking of is the mobile home parks that were just literally completely leveled. Um, And it's, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, and then there were multiple neighborhoods that were gone. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, Is there anything you saw in particular, you know, anything that was, you know, that sticks in your brain from, something that that didn't burn or did burn or uh, something that leaps leaps to mind uh not 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 like a little detail or anything but what i do remember was was the 
kind of hard to believe arbitrary uh, nature of what burned and what didn't in some areas. Like you'd have a row of houses on a residential street um, and there would be, you know, a house to your left that was totally untouched and a house to your right that was totally untouched, but the one in front of you had burned to the ground. Um, And that was, it's just, I mean, I understand the mechanics of how that can happen with, you know, embers flying through the air and catching on a roof, but it still, it just feels bizarre to see that. Um, Imagine being the person who was the only house that burned, you know, like that just must feel so unfair. Well, one, one more question and we'll let you go. I mean, any predictions for 2021? Um, Uh, I predict that there's going to be a moment when we start to go back and we're all going to get really excited about wearing clothes again. And I don't know what those clothes are going to be like. I think we're going to see some interesting and cool fashions. (laughs) I'm just like excited to wear clothes again. Maybe like shoes. We're going to be like, oh yeah, we have shoes. And I wonder if even there's going to be like a run on clothes because of supply chains and and puffins might come to Oregon. That's what Nona wants everyone to know. You know, you might actually, we do get puffins down here sometimes, don't we? I don't know. Kale, you're the animal guy. Uh, We do. They were, I think, either just put on the endangered species list or just uh, listed as threatened. Yeah. Well, let's stick on what's <laughs> stick with something, something good here. Um, yeah. Wait, or not. It doesn't have to be good. Uh, Kale, what, what, what's on your mind for 2021? Uh, I mean, I think like all things this year, it's going to be an exercise in patience. I mean, we, we do know that there is a safe and effective vaccine that is exciting. People are starting to get it. Um, but it's going to be a long time before there is what they call community immunity, which is hard to say and even harder to kind of grasp. Um, you know, we need to have 70% or something like that, 65, 75% of people vaccinated. And there's 4 million people in the state. And, you know, by the, the calculations of the state health officials, that could take until September. So, you know, there, there, there's good things coming, but we, we got to be patient or else, you know, a lot more people are going to die between now and then. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, can we have some fun, nice, happy predictions? Yeah. Anyone? Yeah. Well, I said give it, cool clothes. I, we'll give it to Dave, the Eeyore of the girls. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. The weather's yeah. going to be bad all year. Which is good for Dave. He loves yeah, bad weather. I like bad weather. Um, <laughs> I don't have a happy prediction. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> um, my prediction is that we're going to see a lot more right-wing protests. I just covered one on Monday down at the Capitol, and I feel like the level of misinformation or like willful ignorance about uh, the fact that Trump lost the election is going to result in interesting happenings come Inauguration Day and or before uh, and I suspect that will continue. Um, and as opposed to most of the protests we saw over the mm-hmm. summer, these are people who are heavily armed. <laughs> and I think back to the uh, Malheur Wildlife Refuge occupation, which feels like a lifetime ago now. But I covered that and I remember thinking a lot of the time, you know, there's so many guns here, all it's going to take is 
one person, you know, crossing the line and fi- firing one, and then this whole place is going to explode. And I do worry about that with uh, protests. I think at some point, I this is really dark, but I feel like it's that's. <laughs> You know, that's been a bright side of the pandemic. Uh, there haven't been many mass shootings. Yeah. I mean, it used to be that they're, they were, a back, you know, a constant in the background nationally. Um, but I, I, that's my darkest fear about protests is that at some point we're going to cross over into like an actual firefight. Um, and yeah, <laughs> sorry. And on that note, um, we, you know, oh, gosh. we're going to try to stay, stay safe and uh, stay healthy. And I, I'm i going to end it on a good note. Uh, Damien Lillard is going to shoot a comfortable half footer maybe once, maybe twice, maybe by the time uh, people hear this on the 28th. We'll see. Um, Damien Lillard and I share a birthday. Mm. More good news. <laughs> yeah. Which is not the only thing we have in common. We are both also amazing at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and both nice people. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, Lillard might be nice. I don't know. Dave, you're secretly very nice. You're going to want that to be cut out of this whole thing. But the truth is, you're really nice. And fashionable as well. Um, well, thank you all for doing this. Uh, miss you. And hopefully we'll get together in 2021. Yeah, I mean, that's a positive prediction. We will return to the newsroom, which will be great. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you like this show, help us out by sharing it with a friend or posting about it on social media. You can also support our journalism directly with a subscription to Oregon Live. Visit OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.